HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. The future of farming in America is uncertain. Our farmers are aging and selling off their land. But the pandemic has revealed the importance of local farms as the national and international supply chain continues to be disrupted. I mean, it's not like most farmers have a company-sponsored retirement plan. I'm Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager, and I want to tell you about a new show. Hosted by John Piotti, the president and CEO of American Farmland Trust, and produced in collaboration with Heritage Radio Network, this is No Farms, No Future. There is a new generation of small farmers. We're here to tell their stories, share knowledge, and dig deep into the future of American farming. From land stewardship, we are losing 2,000 acres of farmland a day, the price of land is often so high that it's really hard to get started. To cracks in the supply chain. By the time I go shopping every single day, there's no meat left to feed my family. The future of farms is the future of food. Subscribe to No Farms, No Future, a new podcast from American Farmland Trust and Heritage Radio Network. Find us wherever you like to listen. In the Tuxpan region of Jalisco, like in many regions of Mexico, agave spirits are integrated into the fabric of daily life. They're part of the religion, literally, the spirits, and they're almost always called some form of mezcal locally, even though they are not certified. The spirits are served at every one of the community's many religious fiestas. So when the production of these spirits is at risk, literally, the cultural heritage of the entire community is at risk. And that's what's happening in one community in Tuxpan. Don Arturo is a fifth-generation mescalero, or palenquero, or tabanero, or really tachiquero, because that's what his family calls their little distillery, a tachica. It was built by Don Arturo's father, who learned the craft from his father, who learned the craft from his father. And add one more father, because Don Arturo is, as I say, 
fifth generation. So Don Arturo's Tachica is a hillside gem, a couple of clay-topped steel pot stills, in-ground fermenters, and an earthen oven overlooking a forested hillside. But that hillside is eroding. The rains from the extreme weather that has been plaguing the region in recent years is literally washing away Don Arturo's little distillery and threatening to take with it the community's cultural heritage. With the financial support we're receiving from 818 Tequila, Sacred is rebuilding Don Arturo's family tachica. Or really what we're doing is we're fortifying it so as not to interrupt that heritage. We're rebuilding and reinforcing the hillside that has been eroded, creating a retaining wall that will secure the location. Above that, to serve as a buffer for the weakest part of the earth, we're building a modest tasting room where the locals can sit and enjoy the view of that forested hillside when they come to purchase Don Arturo's Vino de Mezcal. And we're building a structure around Don Arturo's earthen oven so that his tapatas are no more at the whim of the changing weather patterns than his rebuilt tachica will be. This effort to preserve Don Arturo's family business and the cultural heritage of this community in Southern Jalisco is only possible because of a grant sacred received from 818 Tequila. To learn more about this and the other projects 818 Tequila is funding, please visit us at sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. The earth is home to all of us, and we're honored to have been selected by 818 Tequila as their partner in making it a more welcoming home. I'm Lou Bang. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps green geeks, bartenders, better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And hey, you know what, Chava? What? It's an award-winning podcast. Oh, wow. Who will have thought that? I'm know, really right? very surprised. I'm actually very surprised. But uh, <laughs> no, it's all right. That's all right. <laughs> okay. So today, Chava, we're going to talk about why women only drink fruity drinks. Uh, what? Chava, you look stunned. I, I, Are you stunned? Well, I, I think we know different types of people, Lou. No! <laughs> no, what? mezcal is too strong for women. So you have to make either like mix in some kind of sugar or make a cocktail out of it. It's too strong. I, where have you been going these last days, years, lifetime? Well, where do you uh, hang in, out? Like, in, like what kind of... In no. my basement. I thought we've covered that. I drink in my basement, Java. No. No, I like... I, and it's funny because, you know, like you're saying this, obviously joking, but it's crazy <laughs> that that is not considered like caveman attitudes. That, that, it, that it's not right. considered to be something that we are all over it and that it's just the stupidest possible thing that you could say. Right? Well, okay. So, so... Let's, let's dig into that idea, right? And I, I wonder if you really, okay, so who is it that leads the conversation in saying that uh, neat spirits are for men and cocktails and wine and fruity drinks and low ABV are for women? Who says that? I wouldn't even know. Like, honest to God, I don't know who the hell says that. Like, well, uh, sure, you know, we know who that is. It's like, basically, it's the marketing companies of the world. Isn't it? Uh, uh, yes. And this is, so we, I, I guess this is when we say we had a very long interview with uh, Mallory <laughs> who wrote this book called Girly Drinks. Her, she's got a last name as well. Oh. Omira, Mallory Omira. 
she wrote this book called Girly Drinks, and she does a full exploration of a lot of the misconceptions that we have about this theme. And she was even saying that it's very uncommon for her to see a commercial on TV that portrays women in a way that it's not connected to this low ABB fruity stuff. So, I mean, answering your question, even if it's maybe not said directly, just by omission, just by the fact that you'll never see a commercial of a of a woman drinking a scotch neat with her friends while smoking a cigar, then they're saying women should not be doing that. And and if they do do it, it's like just the woman drinking it neat, smoking the cigar around a bunch of men who are ogling her. So yes. it always turns, yeah, yeah, yeah which is always, interesting, yeah. right? Uh, sorry, and so sorry. then that, in essence, her her argument, and I don't. I don't think she's wrong, is that that bleeds down into the micro-marketing by restaurants and bars and what somebody (sighs) behind a bar thinks about when they're serving a customer, right? Who's like, on a Friday night, you're six deep at the bar and you just start making assumptions because it's the fastest way to get through a crowd, maybe. I mean, just say that, and and I get it, but it's also, I mean, and and there's... there's a lot of levels about this. And I think Mallory was really clear about this. It's not only about the misconceptions that are done against women. It's the misconceptions that are done towards all kinds of people. Like, for example, in my case, it's very funny because I, uh, if it's dark, it's the right environment, I look very young. So they immediately... Yeah, so they immediately assume that I want what they think is like a beginner's drink. And the kind of things they usually offer me, like I, I crack up about this, right? Like like it like I, I find it I find it funny, but uh they usually approach me from a place of uh of like, oh poor little kid, this is the first time he's in a bar, in specialized bar, and we should so offer So you get like a bl- Shirley Temple? They say do you want a Shirley Temple? Well, they, they, they use the word approachable. And uh, and then, like, I have these friends that are extremely notionable about agave spirits, but they're women. And they have a collection of stories of bartenders, approach, male bartenders approaching them and saying, like, hey, woman, let me explain you all about agave spirits. And them saying, like, well, you know, I, I've been there. I work, like, I've, I, I have. And, and they say that it's actually challenging to 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 make that person stop for a second and explain them that they have the experience for them to make their own choices. So I I don't know if it's on, if it only comes from a place of efficiency of trying to be more efficient, trying to cover the more customers you can, or if it's more yeah. ingrained than that. Hmm. Well, why don't we go to a quote from Mallory and yes. get her <laughs> viewpoint on it? What do you think? Yes, yes, yes. Let's do that. Okay, enough of the guys talking. Let's uh, let's hand it yeah, over yeah, to Mallory yeah. now. Drinking has been gendered since the days of like ancient Greece and ancient Rome. You know, it's it, gendered drinking has been around forever, and it's so much was about power. And you know, even in ancient Greece, there were there was this idea that if uh, a man was drunk, his his uh, his word carried more weight, his oaths carried more weight. Uh, so there's been for the longest time this perception that. Only men know about drinking. Only men can fully appreciate drinking. The very first girly drink 
quote unquote, uh, was in ancient Rome. And it was a special type of wine that was made from raisins and it was sweeter and had a lower ABV. And that's what the women were allowed to drink if they were allowed to drink at all. So it was always, even though it was women making this stuff because it, men were the main audience, they were considered in uh, main customers. They were considered the ones who knew a lot about it when it's the women who really are, are the ones who are, 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 are so much closer to the process and so much, uh, usually so much better at being able to discern different flavors. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, all of that's interesting. I, you know, it's funny. I, well, first of all, ton of respect for Mallory, not only for her insight, but like writing the book, doing the research, right? It's a great book. And she's awesome. It's been one of my favorite interviews since we started the podcast. I I, I laughed a lot. I got informed. It was an amazing <laughs> interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like my my one my one problem is right I there know. at the end. I at know. the end where she says, women are usually so much better at being able to discern different flavors. And and my hesitation of just accepting that, and I know you you're gonna I know how you're gonna push back even, <laughs> but my one hesitation is I don't know if that's true. Well, I don't well, know. Well, I, I, I think I think once I think I think the problem I should say my problem is once you start saying something like that, that, oh, no, no, the women are better at this than the men. I think you actually start the same kind. It starts more of a war over it instead of just saying, hey, women are people. Women can discern flavors the same way men can discern flavors. They sometimes like things that are strong and they like things that are complex and they sometimes don't. The same as men. So I, I would say don't don't market by gender. Market like ask people what do you like, what do you not like? What do you like? Don't just make assumptions because you're a woman, you're gonna want this. Don't make assumptions because you're a man, you're gonna want that. Well, I the only reason why we'll push that, like push back to what you're saying, and I, I like the last portion of what you said. But I think her argument comes from a historical standpoint, not from a biological standpoint. So she's saying that historically, uh, till very recently, women were the main group that was in charge of preparing food in the Western world. So sure. they they historically have had more contact with raw materials for cooking than men. And that's that's just a fact. So historically, women have been more in contact with the nuances of preparing food as a group. And therefore, uh, and I mean, she even says that a lot. Uh, she said that a lot during the interview. If you trace a lot of the historical innovations or achievements that have given us a lot of the drinks that we enjoy this day, they come from inventions that were found in the kitchen by women. And then men will come by and like, oh, this is a great idea. Let me do something with this and make it my own. So I think she's just referring to a historical situation for that that has been uh, such a commonplace in the Western world. Fair enough. No, no, Fair no, enough. no, I'll no fight that. there. No, no fight there. Just, just something <laughs> that has happened. But, but I think you know, and this, oh God, I like this is definitely going to get me in trouble. But I think. Um, in the way that we shouldn't talk about, oh, this is going to get me in so much trouble. No, in the way that we should, that we should not this. talk about being colorblind, right? Like that we should, we like saying that you don't see color, like just isn't acceptable, 
because we know that there's a context there. Um, but in the way that people sometimes say that, I, I think that maybe that should be the approach with gender, particularly, you know, now that the lines are being blurred with gender in the way that they are. Yeah, I but think, but, but I, 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 well, if you, go, go, go. like in, in my ideal world, in my ideal world, the bartender or the weights person or you know, whoever is taking your order for a drink would ask, would start with, you know, what do you want? Which is usually how they start with me. And I always know what I want and I just go for it. If I don't know what I want, I will, you know, I don't wait for them to ask me, like, what do you like? I'll say, you know, I'm not sure what I want. I know I want to need agave spirit. That's what I normally drink. And, you know, normally I tend to things that taste like blue cheese or taste like poblano chiles. And I love things out of Guerrero. Like, I just start giving more information than they've even asked for. And I know that I talk more than most people. Uh, and you and this is also your area of expertise but i think that a lot of the things that mallory was saying or or she was she kept on pointing out it's if a place is hostile it's it's where the problem is like if you if you if you can get out of it because you know enough about that then you don't care yeah. about if the place is hostile against you you're going to be able to get out of it uh, elegantly but if it's the first oh, time you oh, walk into oh. a bar it, if if you're 22 years old if you're 19 years old if you've like you know if when you're in this position of fragility and and not a lot of expertise in this and people are going at you not with open arms but trying to feel trying to make you feel like you don't understand what you're doing that's that's where the problem lays I god think. i think like what you're describing to me is every wine bar i've ever gone into like in the well, wine there, bars there you, go. You, you felt this I, you felt it yeah 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 like that's a wine bar where i feel like part of the marketing and, and maybe this is what i'm missing but like the marketing of wine bars is Make me feel uncomfortable. Me, Lou Bank, right? I feel uncomfortable in the wine bar, and I think they're trying to make me feel uncomfortable so that they feel smarter than me so that they can push me towards what they want. Is this what is this what we're saying? Well, I, is the and, case I, with every other bar for every other person? Well, yes, but I think also another, I mean, yes, yes, in English, but another subtext <laughs> that she was very, that, that, that she kept referring to was the political side of how alcohol has been used against women in the sense that it was a symbol, like as she was saying, like it, it has been used as a symbol of power, a symbol of authority that women did not have full access to. And she even at some point says that she thinks that a big reason of this is because a drunk woman is a not compliant woman. So you were giving, you know, the, the this tool for a woman to be like held to marriage and living you man if she got you drunk, therefore she was dangerous. For, for that huh. group of men. And she even said, like, and, and this is true in, in Mexico, you know, uh, in pulquerias for the longest time, there were special areas for women. They wouldn't be allowed in the on the main floor of the pulqueria. They're like these little rooms at one side. And what she was saying is the problem was not so much, uh, you know, her problem to this was not such on moral grounds. Like, why are they trying to protect women? Like, quote, like, they're not trying to protect them. They're just excluding them. But bars are such a rich area where, where information is exchanged, where, uh, where where businesses are conducted, 
bars are a place where a lot of our social lives has it gets executed. And in order to take women out of those spaces, you're taking away from them such such an important like amount of their lives, of their political power, of their influence on society. So it's not only the fact that you are saying, well, w women should be connected to these kind of flavors, but it's also women are not part of these power symbols and these spaces where a lot of the of, of the power relationships happen. Okay. So what's the solution? If I, if like in theory, <laughs> in theory, bar owners are listening to our podcast, right? <laughs> like in theory, our podcast is meant for them. So what should they do? Oh man. Like honestly, well, this, like this is, well, this, well, one of, one of my favorite experiences drinking in my life has been when I was in Tokyo and I usually don't speak very highly of the place, but it's, being one of the few places where I will always go to drink, get a beer. And there was, it was very common to see women by themselves, just like chugging a beer. And nobody thought that was like, just nobody made a deal about it. Nobody, like it, it was so ubiquitous and so normal. I think just, I mean, it's going to sound terrible, but it's just growing up a little. It's just like not, not condescending third parties like be ready for the unexpected <laughs> you know like you don't judge the book by their covers and uh and, and be open well, but i yeah but i you know i I'd, I'd be surprised if um if we had a conversation with the three three bar owners who listen to this podcast i'd be surprised if any one of them suggested that they had any different approach yeah. right yeah. And, you know, and, and like my head goes immediately to the cabinet, right? Like Greg, uh, Greg, what's his last name? Bohm, I think. Greg's place um, on the uh, the east side of New York. And I think the vast majority of people working behind the bar are women, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got this amazing selection of agave spirits that that go everywhere from acceptable to, uh, you know, to the, to the person who's just starting out to the craziest, most lovely things I've ever tasted. And, you know, and, and, and so maybe the, you know, maybe the answer is just simply more female staff will have um, more female staff behind the bar or waiting tables um, will be less inclined to, um, to treat women differently than they treat men. Maybe. But I also think I also think that it comes from a cur curatorial perspective of how you even make your drinks because I think if the menu is designed to have condescending drinks to a group of people, then whoa, like it's, whoa, it's, it starts whoa, whoa, from whoa, there. Whoa, 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 whoa! You know what? Like, hang on, no, no, hang oh, on. Did. What did I say? The first thing, <laughs> the first thing I ever got drunk on, and it's the only thing I drank for the first two years of my drinking life when I was coladas. legal at nineteen. Sorry, I'm eating a little chocolate at the University of Iowa was the slow gin fizz. Now, I was given the slow gin fizz by my friend who said, what do you like to drink? And I said, Kool-Aid. And so he said, this is the closest thing <laughs> you're going to find to Kool-Aid in the world of alcohol. And it was my entry point. 
And uh, and yeah. so my point is, is that condescending? Yeah. No, it's well, not. I, I, no, you I, I, clearly I, that, would call that condescending because no, it condescended was... to my taste for Kool-Aid. I loved it. And I still have an affectionate part of my heart for so I, I think I think there is absolutely a place for fruity, overly sweet, cloyingly sweet, insanely Kool-Aid-like alcohol beverages because my heart loves them. Yes, I said something very stupid. Uh, how can I correct <laughs> this? <laughs> I and and I think maybe we're gonna go back to where we started, and maybe it's uh, it's not so much on the bar owners and the uh, bar staff, but it's it's maybe this is a bigger problem that what we can give a solution for right now. Maybe it's a uh, combined effort within media staff. Uh, brands, uh, you know, like everybody has to do a little bit of the job in order for, for, for make it. And, and this is one of the most, well, you know what, here's, here's, here's a way to look at it. You know, it's interesting. She came at us with the, and we'll put links to the, the it's funny. She gave us two ads that she really liked that were focused mm -hmm. on women. And one of them was f uh, for some whiskey company that, uh, um, I think her name is Mila Kunis, uh, is, uh, the spokesperson for, Great ad. The other one was a Coors ad, but the Coors ad was never an ad that Coors used. It was literally made by a woman who wanted to see an ad for beer that was aimed at her. It was never an actual Coors ad. Really? So, yeah, really. Because, but, oh, wow. Okay. So, so my point is, like, if if we turn stereotypes on their heads, give like, I want to see the ad for the slow gin fizz for a guy like me. Right. A well, bald old white man who loves his sugary drinks. And and once we start having that conversation about any drink could be for any person, you just don't know until you know what that person likes. Yes. And media has such a great effect on this. Like I remember I my notion of masculinity changed drastically after I saw The Loss of Desire by Pedro Almodovar. Like I remember thinking about uh, what I thought you were going to say was. after our first road trip together. No, that's a little no. heartbreaking. A oh, lot of well. things in my life changed then, but that was definitely not my. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, I think that it, it was such a, such a crazy experience for me to watch that movie. And after that was done, I, I thought of myself as a man and as the notion of manhood in a whole different way, just because of a of a movie that uh, some people will oh, say it's good. more like a soap opera. Oh man, we are at 21 minutes now. Okay. And I but I all I want is to know what your notion of manhood is. Like that is a that's a chat fest. Oh, dude, no, you have to watch Loss of Desire, Pedro Almodovar, Antonio Banderas is there, man. Great. And and it's uh yeah, just I I I really think it 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 great made a great service to me. I can say that. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I think I think uh, we're gonna have to wrap this one at this ambiguous point, yes. and just uh, promise to get back to it when we are in the car, and at some point do a chat fest that's just about what you think manhood is. I love that. Uh, no, I know. And. and and I gotta say, I really, I really do love Mallory O'Meara's book, Girly Drinks: A History of Women. Mm -hmm. And alcohol. Is that right? I think I got it right. Hang on. Uh, a world history of women and alcohol. Girly drinks. There you okay. go. Okay. Great advertisement, Lou. Anyways, well, okay. as always, a pleasure. Right back at you. Hasta pronto, Chava. Ay, nos vidrios. Adios. Adios.
This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.